So when you're there, say mine. <laughs> All right, nobody's there. <laughs> I'm there, mine. <laughs> you there, Noah? All right. Noah speaks German, so how would you say mine in German? <laughs> hey, I like that. <laughs> All right, so what's interesting, let's look at verse 1 really quick. And it says, the words of King Lamel, this whole, this whole chapter, he wrote it, okay? The words of King Lamel, or Lamuel, I'm not even sure how you say that, but Lamel, that's what I'll call him. King Lamuel, the oracle unto which his, what, mother disciplined him, right? So it's interesting here is that this is a king reflecting on his mother here, right, this chapter. So we get to verse 10. And he begins thinking about this woman. So again, the reason why I bring this up, today's Mother's Day, right? The impact that the ladies have on their young men. You know, one of my sayings is that behind every great man, there's an even greater woman, right? You know, I can see the, the young men in the family, typically they're discipled behind the scenes by their mothers. And so you see every strong man or good man is typically discipled by a good, strong woman. So here's what he has to say about his mother. He says, verse 10, An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above perils. Or pearls, sorry. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She deals bountiful with him for good and not evil all the days of her life. She searches for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. And she arises while it is still night and gives food to her household and a portion to her young women. She makes plans for a field and buys it. From the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold fast the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her, for her household, uh, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine, linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits with the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and gives belts to the tradesmen. Strength and majesty are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the instruction of loving kindness is on her tongue. She watches over the ways of her household and she does, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. As for her husband... He also praises her, saying, Many daughters have done excellently, but you have done above them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Yahweh, she shall be praised. Give to her, give to her from the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. It's my wish that one day my children would say this of my wife, their mother, right? So what would your children say of you? What is the legacy as women that we're leaving behind to our family and our children? So anyways, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. I pray that you be with us as we get ready to um, uh, start our worship, Lord. I pray that you be with Phil, Lord, as he's getting ready to come up and teach the children. And God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we're all able to come together and uh, just uh, worship you, Lord, and um, seek you and your wisdom through your word, Lord. We are excited, Lord, to hear you speak through your word to us. And Lord, we just thank you for who you are and what you've done. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Book of Second John, chapter 23. <laughs> we don't have any chapters in the book of Second John, but um, 
We're going to read the entire letter because it is a short one, and then we'll do an overview. Um, But after we do read the scripture, we want to turn this time over to the Lord in prayer. And once again, you're thankful for you being here this morning, thankful for our moms as we celebrate them. Um, Hopefully you have some good things planned for your mothers today. Second John, 1 through 13. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Wes, would you lift this time up in prayer, please? Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we will do a little bit of an overview, but because this is a letter of John and we just came out of 1 John, some of you may remember back to our introduction to that book. So we do have the same author for the letter of 2 John. And along with 3 John, these are the shortest epistles in the New Testament. So they don't have chapter breaks, but rather it's just one continuous letter. And there's also very little debate as to who the author is of this letter. If you've studied other passages or other scriptures in the New Testament, other books, you'll find that there is some debate among scholars back and forth about who wrote what letter. But it's fairly certain among all of them that John is the writer of this letter. Even though he doesn't mention himself by name, he refers to himself as the elder, which probably speaks of both his advanced age, we know John is fairly along in years at this point, but also of his authority in the leading of the early church. And probably more of the emphasis is on the latter here. John was one of the apostles. 
Right? He was the one who had walked and talked and um, learned from Jesus directly during his earthly ministry along with uh, Peter and some of the others. He's one of the more prominent apostles that is mentioned in the New Testament scriptures. He also wrote the gospel and he wrote these three letters. Um, he was one of the only apostles or was the only apostle to have actually died a natural death is what history tells us. Although there was an attempted execution of John. It is said that I think Nero had him boiled in oil and he survived that miraculously. God delivered him from that and he actually died of a natural death. Now remember, we don't find that in scriptures. That's mainly from the writings, I believe, of Josephus and some of the other biblical historians. Um, but that is what we learn of John by looking back at those writings. So being an apostle of Jesus, I think, even further builds on his authority in the early church, which is why we can assume when he is labeling himself as an elder here, that it has more to do with his authority, his position in the early church. And the time in which the letter was written is difficult to pinpoint exactly, but uh, most biblical scholars believe that it was written somewhere between A.D. 90 and 95 in that little five-year window there. And it occurred soon after the writing of the first epistle. Now, this would have been during his ministry at Ephesus. He was the, the lead pastor there at the church of Ephesus, and this is more towards the latter part of his life, so John probably wrote this letter in his early 90s. Now, second, John addresses some of the same issues as first John. Remember that believers are beginning to encounter false teachings and the influence of false teachers. And false teachings and their teachers exist all around us even today, which is why we can apply all this scriptures to the society that we live in today, what we are encountered by when it comes to false teachings. And during the growing of the early church, the chief false doctrine or false teaching was called Gnosticism, which basically taught that Jesus did not come in the flesh. That because flesh to them is inherently evil, Jesus could not have united himself with that in a physical form, and therefore he did not come in the flesh was their claim. So they taught that he was just a phantom being, or that he was one of the emanations of God that didn't really come in physical form, although he may have appeared this way. I know it seems ludicrous to think, but in in actuality, we'd still have religions, false ideas that are taught like this today. Their philosophy taught that you didn't have any control over what your flesh did because the flesh was inherently evil, so you should consider the spirit part of you apart from the flesh because what you did in the flesh, it didn't matter, so that caused people to just launch out in, into rampant sin and that basically they weren't responsible for anything that they did in their flesh. So this is just one of the dangers that this heresy of Gnosticism taught and the reason why we see so often that John refers to Jesus as coming in the flesh, that he is fully God, he is fully man. Um, in his gospel, the first chapter, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have beheld his glory, glory is that the only Son from the Father at the beginning of his first epistle, he talks about that which we have seen and that which we have touched. Very much Jesus came in a physical form, and that is the point that he is getting across in his argument against Gnosticism, that he is in perfect union with God. He is God himself come to be with us in the form of man and to take the punishment that we deserve in his physical body. And one of the main differences between this letter and the first one is that there is a specific church 
or house church that this is addressed to. And based on the tone, John instructs in, in his instruction of this letter, it appears that there were false teachers um, that were going around almost like this door-to-door um, proselytizing that they were doing, if you will, their own missionary work, trying to deceive true followers of Jesus Christ. And they were taking advantage of Christian ho- hospitality, uh, getting a literal foot in the door, so to speak, and trying to make converts of their own and twisting the views of, of Christ and how he's presented in the Scripture and by the apostles, and particular John and Paul and Peter. Now, some commentators think that either the elect lady had already been visited by these false teachers, maybe perhaps unbeknownst to her or maybe even knowingly, or John is just writing this as a cautionary statement that just to warn her that there are those that are going around, they're teaching this false false gospel they're teaching the wrong things about who christ is and we are not to have anything to do with them not to have any fellowship with them because they are twisting the scriptures and that this is the reason for john's stern warning about showing hospitality to deceivers we read the entire letter but if you look at verse 10 he says there if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching that is jesus christ in the flesh right Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So very strong warning from John, but John recognized that these false teachings needed to be confronted, they needed to be dealt with, they needed not to be allowed in. Just like Satan deceived Eve and Adam in the garden, as Phil was teaching on this morning, so he continues to do these through his instruments of evil, these false teachers. And the harsh warning was intended to keep the foundations of the faith from being corrupted and young believers from being deceived. And I think that, I hope that for most of us here, that hospitality kind of goes hand in hand with our Christian faith. I mean, we want to invite people into our home. We want to show them kindness. We want to minister into people's lives. But believers need to always fasten themselves to the truth of Scripture. And I think that is one of the things that is foundational to the writings of John. We must show love, but it should always be in keeping within the confines of truth and not compromising on the truth. Offending with the truth is much different than offending with our actions. You know, we can, we can sin against people in the ways that we act around them. This is not, that, that shouldn't be the thing that it comes out of a Christian. We shouldn't be offended, offensive with our actions, but... We should offend with the truth, and it is going to be an offense to many. There are fundamentals or basic truths of the faith that must be defended, and we don't want to find ourselves aiding those who are attempting to destroy those foundations of truth. And so clear boundaries need to be established, and that's what John does for us in this letter. And I don't know if it's just me, I just kind of couched that there for a while, but I Maybe I'm growing more cynical as I get older, uh, but I see this idea of ecumenism growing in the church today more and more where there is a blending of many different types of faiths or denominations, including some that do not hold to the main tenets of Christianity or Christian doctrine. I think that's why we need to be so careful about who we allow to teach who we have fellowship, who we have communion with, 
And this is not saying that we have the only right denomination here. I mean, we claim that we're independent, so we really don't have a denomination, so to speak. But there are those there that out there, you know, in this community, there are churches that are teaching the truth of Scripture, but there has also been a lot that have compromised or wavered from the truth to allow for inclusion and tolerance of various forms of false ideas about God. And we need to be on guard of those. We need to draw those clear lines. And I guess I'm a little more guarded than I used to be, and I struggle with not wanting to be called a legalist, but also not wanting to compromise when it comes to truth. So we need to be careful. We don't want to be found aiding those who are attempting to destroy those basic truths of faith. Paul warns of this in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. You want to just turn there with me? Romans 16. In verses 17 through 18, this is an appeal of Paul to the believers. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I believe this is why we see here in Second John the two main themes being truth combined with love, truth and love. And we noticed this with his first epistle as well, and we'll see it um, here in the second one, that John takes love and he takes truth very seriously, and he does not compromise truth for love. And in this society today, we see a lot of that going on, where love or the truth is compromised for the sake of love. You hear the slogan, love is love, and there are many different forms of love, but the, the love that society is teaching today is not the agape love that we read about in the scriptures. So the two, love and truth, are really inseparable. And we must always let truth guide our love. And that is what John is instructing us. One commentator puts it this way, The main lesson of Second John is that truth determines the bounds of love and as a consequence of unity. Who do we have fellowship? Who do we unify with in our faith? Well, those who share the same truth that we have, the truth of the Scriptures. 1 Peter 1.22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see Peter emphasizing the obedience to the truth, and from that issues forth that true and sincere agape love that we're looking for in our lives, that we should see as a fruit of his righteousness within us. And we can have a love of people. I think that's good. Christians should have a love of people, even people outside the faith. We want for all to be rescued from their sin. Because of general love we have for others, we want to go out, we want to share the gospel. Because if we don't love people, then we're probably not going to sense any urgency in sharing the gospel with them but who we have Christian unity and fellowship with is a different matter. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul warns again, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. As a church, we want for truth to be the foundation for our unity 
and love for one another. When we fellowship, we want it to be centered around the truth. We want it to be done in love, but we want it to be centered around the truth. And that is God's word. The Lord's Supper is one of those ordinances that we practice here at Carlsbad Bible Church that symbolizes our unity and that it is centered in our faith and our love for Jesus Christ. And that's why we take time before the sharing of the Lord's Supper because of the symbology that's built into that, that God has designed in it as that form of unity that we have, a fellowship around the truth, that others to come in and take part in that. That's, that's destructive to them, but it's also destructive to the church as well, and so we need to be careful in how we observe that. And I believe this is why we see as two main themes in Second John, this truth and love. And I have a general outline, and I put it in a slide, but I failed to send it to uh, Nick or to Jeremy back there, so we don't have it to throw up on our screen. But the first part of this, and what we're going to cover today, the first three verses, is the truth promotes love. It's the main thing, the truth promoting love, that truth issues in love, especially for other believers. So we're going to look at three main things here in these three verses. We're going to look first at John's love, his expression of love, for the believers, his being an elder and a leader of the church and how he expresses that love for other believers. We're going to look at all the believers' love, and then we're also going to look at God's love. So John's love, all the believers' love, and God's love in these three verses this morning. So as we hold these things in our mind that we just covered in the background of John and why, the, what the purpose of was of his writing this, as we hold these things in our mind, we're going to now dip into these first three verses. And I'm going to read those again. I just really departed from my notes, so let me get back here. <laughs> Second John 1 through 3. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth, and love. So why is it that John does not name himself uh, or give a name to the elect lady and her children to whom he is writing? I know we've left the background part of this, but some speculate that the reason that no names are applied here or assigned is because John may not have wanted to implicate anyone by name in this written letter. Because if the letter was intercepted by any authorities um, and they knew that there were some names that were written into the letter, it might mean death for those persons. That's how severe the persecution had become for the Christians up to this point. All right, so possibly one of the reasons, we don't find that exactly in Scripture, but just some speculation there. Oh, John, again, he refers to himself as elder. I know we've covered that, but the Greek word for elder is presbyteros, which can either mean being someone who is up in years, um, maybe a senior to someone in age, or having a position of leadership in a church. And John is actually both, but in this context, the use of the word is probably more in the sense that he is referring to his leadership role in the church. He's taking on a pastor role here as he's writing these letters, as he's warning the church, as he's defending and guarding the truth. Uh, we see him in that authoritative position as elder. Now, the letter is written to the elect lady and her children, and some have interpreted this phrase as being directed towards a church, like the lady actually referring to a church and its membership. 
but this is much more likely to be an actual lady, um, and she is referred to as an elect lady, or some translations, chosen lady of God. And the Greek word there is eklektos, and it means chosen by God to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what elect means. In Christ, we are set apart, chosen by God. And such is the one to whom John is writing, the elect lady. And the word is found in many other places in New Testament scripture to describe believers. Let's just look at a few of those. Matthew twenty four thirty one. Looking for this Greek word eklektos, which means elect or chosen. Twenty four thirty one of Matthew. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Also in Mark chapter 13, verse 20. Mark 13, 20. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose the days to be shortened. So there again we see a klechtos used in that passage. And then a couple of others. I'll just jump to Romans 16.13. Because where it is used to describe an individual rather than a, a collective body of people is here in Second John where he's referring to the elect lady. But we have another example in Romans 16.13. And that is where Paul is greeting Rufus. I, he says, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord or elect of the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Interesting verses that we have uh, the use of mother in being on Mother's Day and also that this is the only letter that is written directly to a woman. And here we are on Mother's Day. So anyway, kind of meaningful. All right, let's come back to verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. This is that living out the truth in love. And this is what I mentioned earlier about our outline and how we first see John's expression of love. In his greeting here, John is directing a sincere and a heartfelt love towards this lady and her children. You know, there's a little bit of a rebuke in here, but it doesn't take away his love for them. He is motivated out of love to warn them. And here she is a woman with children, so it could be concluded that she is probably a mom. Maybe she is instructing them, just the, being a Proverbs 31 woman that we read about this morning. And John says that he loves them, and he doesn't just have a general love for them, but he loves them in the truth. And so this is the love that is rooted in the truth. It has as its foundation truth. We are directed in God's truth to love one another, and our love of Christ and his truth should motivate that love for one another within the body of Christ. We read it earlier, that first Peter verse from chapter one twenty two, having a purified having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love. This kind of love works out of this truth that we hold by his presence within us. John includes all others who know the truth in this greeting of love, and that is 
the all believers love. The second part of our outline, how as all believers we express love to those within the body of Christ, whether we have met them personally or not. How comforting that is to know that we are being loved by others and we have the opportunity to love others. We, we love those who are part of the body of Christ, those who are worshiping across the globe in Asia, in Tanzania, and in Russia, and all across the globe. We have believers that are trusting in God's salvation and loving his truth and loving others. And as we see this expression that John is sharing with this lady, that is all the believers that he's writing on behalf of who also uh, love them. And this is a love, again, that is rooted in truth. So that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. The connecting word of this truth is abide, right? Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, is what John writes. And the word abide is much like a root system that makes up the anatomy of a plant. I've heard it said that in Eddy County, Lee County, Lovington, that kind of area, that we have the largest contiguous forest in the United States. I don't know if that's true or not. I was told by this, this biologist who studied trees, and the reason they say that is the shinnery oak, we think of trees, we think of them being over our head, but shinnery oak that is actually at your shins, um, it comprises a complex system, but it's all connected together by one root system. It's all tied in and centrally connected, and that's how it shares in its life with each other. And so when I see this word abide, it is the picture that comes to mind that is all tied in together into a system. The church's life force is Christ, and he is truth, and his word is truth, and that is what we are gathering our sustenance from as believers. That is a constant and life-giving force to us. And the Greek word for abide is meno, and if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, the definition there is to not depart. It is to continue to be present, to be held, to be kept continually. It's a Greek word, meno, in the definition of it. And this is how we are to see ourselves joined in to one another through Christ Jesus in love. And that it all connected by truth. Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 17 As we think of this word abide and being connected to one another, Paul writes this in verse 16 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when I think of abiding, I think of what Paul writes here, that being rooted, that grounding into the love of Christ, that we may, from within, being rooted in him, be strengthened to comprehend with all the body of believers, all the saints, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ. So Jesus says that he is the way, and that he is the truth, he is the life. 
It's what we need to be tied into and what we need to be biting into, into. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. His prayer to the Father for us in John chapter 17 is that we be sanctified in the truth. And He says, your word is truth. Coming back to Second John, John adds here that this truth will abide in us forever. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. It's an enduring truth. It's an everlasting truth. And because God is eternal, so is His truth. His truth will continue. When we die here, His truth is going to be just, we're going to be in the presence of truth when we behold Him in heaven. And the Greek word, coming back to that Greek word, meno, for this truth to describe what we're abiding into, it's something that's held, it's kept, it's continual. That is a description of His truth. And because of the truth that abides in us, it will be with us forever. Connected to the truth by salvation in Christ, having been given His Holy Spirit to bring understanding of the truth to us. And then three things that John says that follow because of this truth that abides in us. So because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us from God, the uh, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I think I might have missed a word there. Let me, let me come back. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, I left forever out, Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. From this truth comes grace, a grace that is given us. And grace is defined as giving us what we don't deserve. It is God's unmerited favor. And without grace, none of us would be saved. But in Christ, God gave us this unmerited favor, something that we did not deserve. That as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. From truth he has accorded to us mercy. So not only grace, but accorded to us mercy. What did we deserve? We deserved wrath. Mercy being what we didn't deserve. Wrath being what we did deserve. So from truth, hey, we have grace we have mercy, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And it is according to his great grace and mercy that we have a peace relationship with God the Father. From this truth we have this peace. I know I've been referring to Ephesians a lot, but Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so that making, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Before we were saved, we were under God's wrath. We were enemies of God. But now we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, having been given a righteous standing before Him because of what Christ did for us. It is a peace that has been brought to us, but it is also a peace that is now present and living within us. 
That's why Paul can say that let the peace of God guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that it is this peace now that we experience. It's an experiential peace that cannot be overcome by circumstances. This grace, this mercy, this peace, that it is yours in Christ Jesus. They are extensions of God's favor for his children. John doesn't give them. Right? As much as he might like to say that he is the originator, he's not. He doesn't give them. We are not the originators of these things. But grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. If something is a lie, how can it be trusted? And it can't, you know, because once it has been exposed as a lie... That's what it is. You can't trust in it. But something that is true can be trusted. Something that is true can be tested. It can be proven as true. And we can be assured that His grace and His mercy and His peace will be with us because it is in truth. And God is true and God is trustworthy. And it is in these things that His love is expressed to us. He gave us what we didn't deserve, His grace, because He loved us. He didn't give us what we did deserve, which was his wrath. He gave us instead his mercy because he loved us. And he brought us peace between us and him by sending his son as a ransom to pay the penalty for the sin that we deserved because he loved us. One of my favorite hymns, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And all these things, grace, mercy, and peace, a number of other attributes of God, but these three that we're focusing on this morning, they are found perfectly in God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. And it does not mean that they can't be found in us. They won't be found perfectly, but because we are in Christ, because we have the abiding presence of His Holy Spirit, we in turn can extend grace and mercy and peace to those around us. As we live our life in Christ on this earth, they sh- these things should be worked out in us as we are abiding in Him, but recognizing that God is the source from which they come. One of the instruments that we use at work uh, measures water quality in the water. And one of the readings that you need is what is the pH level and what is the specific conductance of this water. And this instrumentation over time, it loses its calibration, so it loses its accuracy sometimes, so we have to calibrate these before we use them. And the calibration requires using a solution of a known value called a standard reference. To align the instrument, it must be calibrated to the standard. And we should be seeing ourselves as instruments in God's hands, used by Him to glorify Him and to make Him known to the world. Whatever love we express, whatever grace and whatever mercy that is shown through us, whatever love of the truth that we possess, we must reference it back to the perfect standard, which is God himself. I didn't intend for us to be so much in Ephesians, but I have one more verse, set of verses I want to share with you from Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3.
Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I think there's a question in here that we could formulate from what Paul writes here, and that question is, what is your salvation to you? The way in which you walk and how you demonstrate that you are saved will be seen in how you value your salvation. Are you walking in a manner worthy of the calling, the calling being called unto God in salvation, the calling to which you have been called? Is it being seen in how loving and eager you are in maintaining the peace, the unity in the body? Is it rooted in His truth and love? In the way by which we pour out to others His love, mercy, and grace, and maintaining the bond of peace is determined by the view and the value we have of our salvation. Do you just, you know, stop yourself every once in a while? I think about how seldom I do this, but I'm challenged by this to think what it costs my Savior to purchase my salvation. What is that worth to me? And how do I value that? To really think upon that. What the Savior undertook on our behalf, on my behalf. How rich was the grace and the mercy that was shown to us. You know, God putting His full on wrath on Jesus Christ, His Son. That we might not perish into eternity apart from God, but live with Him forever. What a miraculous exchange took place on the cross. It was the worst part about me, the worst part about us, was to be placed on him. And as God poured out his wrath on his one and only son, it was then that the best of him, the righteousness that he earned for us, was then transferred to us so that God sees his son and not us. He shed his precious blood on the cross of Calvary for that exchange. And there's so much more depth that we could probe of the gospel. But I want to encourage us to continually contemplate that because I believe that that then determines the degree by which we are willing to show that grace, that mercy, that love, and that peace with others. What does it mean to you and how will it determine the way and that you love others? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for bringing us together and giving us your word your truth to us. Thank you for the time of fellowship that we had earlier as we were able to share in that oneness that you provide us through Christ Jesus and that we can do that in truth. I pray, God, if there was anything that I said here today that where I misspoke or maybe I twisted something and it went into the mind of someone that doesn't, they don't need to hear it that way, God, that just the essence of your truth is what remains there, that it take hold of us, that we are rooted in it, that we look to it as a source of everything that sustains us and provides us truth to combat this world around us, the enemies, snares, the dangerous deceptions that we are being fed daily. God, help us to stand firm in your truth be rooted in it, to see it as the source of our everything. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you, Lord, for our moms, and as we talked about earlier, just what they've meant to us 
and how they've raised us, how they've sought to instruct us in your ways, how they've been a, a good example for us. And those of us who've had good moms, we thank you for them. But we pray most, most of all, Lord, that you are glorified in their lives, in all of our lives, and that you are the one who gives them that ability, who gives us the ability to express love and kindness and gentleness and, and all these things that are of you that as we express them to a world around us, God, that they see you in us. Help us to recognize the dangers that are around us as well, Lord, and not to have fellowship with those things just for the sake of wanting to show love, but always look to your truth to help us in showing that love. God, pray that you're glorified here and that your will is done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.